This is the Everything EV Podcast by EV Powered. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Everything EV Podcast, the podcast dedicated to everything electric. I'm your host, Charlie Atkinson, and in these episodes, we'll be discussing everything to do with electric travel. So whether it be cars, bikes, boats, or even planes, we'll have it covered. We'll also be speaking to people from within the industry to get their views on the EV space, as well as other features such as electric car reviews, electric motorsport coverage, and much, much more along the way. This podcast is available on all streaming platforms, so be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from to receive every single episode as soon as it's released. And please do go back and check out all our other episodes too. This week, I'm joined by Tim Evans, the founder of solar-powered destination EV charging firm 3TI. With its solar-powered charging hubs and pop-up charging units, 3TI is one of the UK's leading suppliers of solar car parks, and Tim is here today to talk about the importance of solar in the UK's transition to electric vehicles and the future of EV charging as a whole. Well, first of all, thank you for for chatting to us today and for joining the podcast. Now, I've done a little bit of research on yourself and on the company as well, and 3TI has been sort of on my radar for the last year. But for any of our listeners that might not be too familiar with the company and with what you guys do, how do you best describe uh, the company and what and what you're offering? Well, good morning, first of all, and thank you very much for having me on. Um, so 3TI, uh, it's, it's in the name, actually. 3TI stands for Three Technology Infrastructure, and those three technologies are solar, batteries, and EV charging. So um, for the last uh, two or three years, the company's been trading for nearly four years, and uh, up until this year, we concentrated on very large car parks and we've been involved in uh, designing building and now operating the two largest solar car parks in the uk uh, one on 1500 spaces with about an installed capacity of about three megawatt peak and the other one on just about a thousand spaces uh, with 2.2 megawatt peak that was our business model it still is our business model and it's it's an increasingly important part of the business um, but partly because we realized that the incubation time of those very big products uh, and projects was was particularly long. By the time you've got a grid connection and planning permission and the upper echelons of your client's business have made a decision to invest, um, it can quite easily run into two or even three years from, from start to finish. And we were looking particularly at being able to speed the rollout of electric vehicle charging in connection with uh, the solar car parking, and of course, with the big projects being particularly slow, consequently, the rollout of EV charge points is equally slow. So we came up with a, an instant mini solar car park, which we launched this year in May. Uh, it's called Papilio 3, and it's based around a recycled shipping container with solar panels on the roof and uh, 12 EV charge points uh, around the side of the, the container, if that's perhaps the best way to describe it. Space for a battery and um, 12 EV charge points that will charge simultaneously at uh, 7, 11 or 22 kilowatts. Yeah, to go to go back to the beginning of your journey <laughs> then and, and a little bit into your background and like you said, you've been trading for three, three to four years, was it? Mm-hmm. So when you go back to the start of that journey, what was the main sort of initial inspiration that that sort of founded the company? Where, yeah, take us through the the sort of the history and what led you to this point. You, you've got to go back a little bit further than that. And, and how did I get into renewable energy at all? Um, and my uh, my 
degree is in agriculture. Mm -hmm. And uh, I found myself 30 years ago uh, in former East Germany uh, running my own farm. Um, straight after the wall came down, I moved over there with my German wife and children. And um, relatively quickly after being there, because of course renewable energy was already a thing in Germany, um, uh, very quickly after being there, I was involved in a farmer's co-op growing oil seed rape for biodiesel. And 30 years ago, I was running my diesel Passat on pure oil seed rape oil, which was quite fun because if you were out on a journey and you ran out of fuel, you just went to the local supermarket and uh, helped yourselves to a few litres of, of cooking oil and it was fine. Uh, except on a day like today when it, it gets a bit solid. Um, so you have to mix some petrol in, but otherwise it was absolutely fine. And, and of course, that's 30 years ago. Uh, I moved on on the same farm business. We put in a biogas plant in 1996 to process um, cow muck and uh, maize. And that was actually the first biogas plant in East Germany at the time. That That plant is still running today, 30 years later. And uh, finally, I moved on and put grain uh, solar panels on the grain store roof um, 22 years ago. So I've been in solar in that respect for 22 years. But you asked me what was the inspiration. Well, it, it's interesting as a personal journey. I went from being a conventional farmer who sprayed and fertilized everything um, to being an organic farmer. And I moved from a, a, a somebody eating meat five times a day, which is quite common in Germany, um, eating meat five times a day to being a vegetarian. And this whole concept of sustainability, circular economy, recycling and renewable energy, it just struck a chord with me. So when my farm uh, tenancy came to an end, instead of doing another 12 years of farming, I went off to Austria and I did a master's in renewable energy. And I've been in renewables um, so solely in renewables for 20 years, effectively, and uh, been through biogas and wind uh, in Germany and in the UK and Italy and Austria, and um, more recently, wood-fired power stations in the UK and Germany, and then uh, formed this company, as I say, four years ago with my business partner, Max Aitken. And why do I do it? Well, I did it initially just out of curiosity. Um, when you become a father, your views on life change and, and you think, well, there might be some of me still on this planet in uh, 30 years time. Um, but then when you become a grandfather, it changes again. And you look at uh, thinking, well, there might be some of me on this planet still in 80 or 90 years time. And what sort of a mess are we leaving for my grandchildren to inherit the mess that we've created over the last 100 years or thereabouts? And uh, our company motto is therefore leave something better behind. Mm. Yeah, now that's really interesting. I mean, it's a very common tale um, about how children and grandchildren sort of shape and, and influence people like yourself to, to go down this route. A, a couple of weeks ago, we had a I had a similar conversation on a, on this very podcast talking about how um, it was an upcycling bus company of converting diesel powered buses over to electric so it is a really common message mm. and it's really interesting as well to so you've obviously seen the growth and development of not only the ev industry but the rise of sustainable sustainable technology sorry so when that's been such a part of your life for as you say the best part of 30 years 
has the UK missed a bit of a trick by coming to the party quite late with, with solar power and with renewable energy? Because although it's been there, it's not really been championed as much as it has over the last two, three, four, five years, maybe. So, yeah, have we missed a bit of a, a trick with, with that side of things? Well, I think that's a very valid question on on a day like today, when only yesterday, Michael Gove um, gave the thumbs up to a new coal mine in the UK. So have we missed a trick? Uh, <laughs> we never had the trick. We were never on the trick. We're just being tricked. Um, yeah, and, and I do get really actually quite annoyed when the government tell everybody that we're leading the world and um, we, we, you know, we know where it's at and we've got the best technology. We are 30 years behind Germany, 30 years. Mm. And uh, if I think back, uh, um, it was 48 years ago when we had the last very hot summer, 1976, I was doing my geography O-level. Now, you're probably too not too young to remember what O-levels were, but they were GCSEs in those days. Um, and, and I remember sitting in the exam hall, which was the sports hall at school, and it was unbelievably hot. And I remember the sweat dripping off my chin onto my note, onto my uh, exam paper. But there was a question in the geography exam about something called uh, the greenhouse effect. Mm. And that was actually, as we all know now, the precursor to um, global warming, which then became climate change. And that's where we are now. But that was 47 years ago. Mm. And what have we done since in 47 years? Well, you know, we fly a bit more, a lot more. We have more foreign holidays. We drive bigger cars. We consume more. We've done absolutely everything that we shouldn't have done. Um, we have not adopted the technology in the UK. The, the the frameworks that the government have offered, whether they're Labour government or Conservative, um, you know, they've given us subsidies. They've taken subsidies away. They've taken subsidies away overnight so that businesses have actually gone bust. And then the, the most recent uh, debacle, of course, was Liz Truss saying, uh, oh, we can't use farmland for um, solar. So that put... Uh, put the the uncertainty back into that market for a while and then we could build onshore wind farms and now we can't build onshore wind farms but now yes of course we can again and uh, it is not helpful to an industry and certainly not a fledgling industry to have that level of uncertainty and uh, although we do this personally and, and our business we do this for the right reasons in that we believe we should um, of course we're all wanting to earn some money at this, but more importantly, the investors who facilitate our business and fund our business, that, that's what they do. They want to earn money. And if we are um, faced with a, a, an uncertain um, uh, background and environment created by government and legislation, uh, they run a mile from that sort of investment. So it doesn't help us at all. No, I do find it interesting as well that when, when you say we've just given the go ahead to a new coal mine, but if you think not too long ago, we hosted COP26. We've got all these very ambitious net zero um, goals and EV targets as well. And so, it's yeah, we're not exactly heading in the right direction, but we've said we were going to. So from, from our point of view, that's very confusing as well. Well, it's, you know, I don't want to get into a political discussion, but the short termism that is born of uh, first past the post pol uh, politics and electoral system and it's all changed every five years um, or, or, you know, the last 12 years have been appalling from the Tory government in the way that they claim to have supported what we do, but quite clearly do not support what we do. And they certainly don't provide any level of stability. Um, it's not helped the, 
development at all. Having said that, there is a thriving sector and a lot of individuals um, with who, with a passion to, to make this work and want to make it work. And uh, you know, we, we know that um, there is plenty of solar available and solar and wind is where it should be. Having um, spent a lot of time building wood-fired power stations and processing cow muck, um, you do realize that that's actually a bit of a nonsense in terms of carting huge quantities of biomass around the country and then carting huge amounts of waste biomass uh, back out around the country. It's a massive logistics exercise. Um, the standard response to that is, oh, well, we should be using food waste. Well, actually, wouldn't it be better if we didn't waste the food in the first place? Mm. That would be, that, you know, if you think of a piece of maize that's gone through a cow's stomach and then comes out into a, into a biogas plant, uh, or that same piece of maize could be turned into a cornflake and go to a factory and be packaged and put in plastic, put in a box, sent on a lorry to a supermarket, into somebody's house, into a cornflake bowl with some milk, and then thrown away because it wasn't eaten. How ridiculous is that? <laughs> um, and and uh, then we pat ourselves on the back because we're recycling food waste. Well, let's not create the food waste in the first place. It'd be far more sensible. Mm. But I appreciate that that's uh, you know that's uh, not necessarily practical. But of course, the the other conversation I like to have with particularly people. It's interesting, isn't it, that the the pet what I would call the petrol heads, the people who used to be glued to Top Gear and get very excited about uh, V8 engines and all this sort of thing. Um, they are also the, the naysayers when it comes to electric cars. And uh, I won't have an electric car until it's got a range of 600 miles. Well, how often do you drive 600 miles without a brake? Uh, why do you need to charge it in 20 minutes? Uh, which is also nonsensical. Uh, but of course, you then have to point out to an internal combustion engine driver that actually they're running on solar energy as well. And they look at you quizzically and, and ask why. Is it well, you're, you're running your car on fossil fuel that was created 200 million years ago from the sun. <laughs> the sun made the tree grow, the tree fell over, it turned into coal or oil or, or gas or whatever it was. And 200 million years later, you're putting it in your car and you're releasing the CO2 that was sequestered by those plants 200 million years ago. And we've been doing that for just over 100 years. Um, I think the other thing just to, to be aware of is Henry Ford's first vehicle was actually designed to run on peanut oil, <laughs> not not on um, fossil fuel, but peanut oil. So it, it's really only start, since we started digging it out of the ground that we've created the problem. And solar energy today, if, if you look at the progression of it, so we've got fossil fuels in the form of petrol and coal and what have you, that were uh, solar energy from 200 uh, million years ago. You move to a wood-fired power station, that's solar energy from 70 or 80 years ago, ago as the tree was growing. If you move to biogas, that's solar energy from last year when the maize or the grass was growing to feed the cow on. If you then move to solar energy straight from the sun, we're actually running our car, I shall be running my car this evening on the sun that's shone on the uh, solar panels during the day today. Mm. So we've shortened that cycle. We've cut all the CO2 out of it. It makes an awful lot of sense. And I don't know how anybody's ever worked it out, but the, the general perceived wisdom is that uh, if we could capture all the solar energy that fell on the world in one hour, we would have enough to power the world for an entire year. Mm. 
which gives you some idea of the strength and, and the, the scope for solar energy. And uh, we, are, we are really only scratching the surface still on that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's companies like yourself that are sort of paving the way and, and making it, well, telling the telling the tale of the importance of solar, particularly for the EV industry, but also when you look at climate change and, and things like that. So like I said, at the, the beginning of this podcast, I said that I was I became sort of aware of 3TI at, at the start of the year. So how has 2022 been for the company? What sort of significant milestones have you reached over the past 12 months? Well, I've lost all my hair, as you can see, but your, your <laughs> listeners won't be able to see that. <laughs> no, that happened a long time ago, actually. Um, 2022 has been a, a, an exciting year in that um, we've grown the business from... At this time last year, um, we were about 12 employees. Mm. By the time we get to next week's Christmas party, we will be 26. Mm. So we've, we've more than doubled the size of the team. Um, we will have probably, not quite, but almost trebled our turnover from 4 million to 12 million. Wow. And um, we have a, a sales pipeline which is exceptionally strong. Uh, in addition to that, we've done a, a fundraise this this year during June and July. We went on to Crowdcube and did a, a crowdfund and attracted two million pounds of investment from about two and a half thousand people oh. in six, 66 countries around the world. So that was an interesting exercise. Um, and that's also brought to the table another investment syndicate, um, which I, I can't disclose the name today because we, we haven't quite signed the documents, but we will have done uh, by this time next week. Um, and that's brought another million into the business. So we've raised three million pounds this year, um, more than doubled the size of the team. And then, of course, we've launched Papilio 3 in May at Surrey University in Guildford. Um, and that's this pop-up solar car park, um, which has been doing everything it says on the tin and a bit more. Uh, bearing in mind that it was a prototype uh, that was designed almost exactly two years ago. Mm. I'll show you the sketch sometime, but it really was the back of a fag packet or the back of an envelope, <laughs> certainly. And in two years, we've or 18 months, we turned that into reality. And um, we have been absolutely inundated with, with inquiries. And so we've probably got an order book of over 300 now, something like that, um, in 22 different countries. So the, the business has really grown tremendously. Um, but of course, we, we find ourselves sitting in the eye of the perfect storm in that uh, having had the hottest summer on record where houses actually caught fire mm. um, after about three weeks of drought, um, it means that people have suddenly woken up and said, you know, crikey, perhaps there is something in this climate change thing. Um, the and then, of course, we, yeah. And, and then, of course, we've had the government uh, targets for... Um, um, net zero by 2050 and um the the, the ban on sale of electric um sorry of non-electric of, of fossil fuel driven air vehicles from 2030 which of course is only uh, seven or eight years away now so all those things and then on top of that you get a war in ukraine um, which pushes up the price of gas and therefore electricity and oil and also makes people start to think, hang on a minute, what about fuel security? Mm. And where does it come from? And who's sitting on the lever of the negotiation? So all those factors have come together this year um, and all in the space of about six months. 
So, of course, from a from a, a large scale solar car park point of view, where of course the vast majority of the power we generate from a large solar car park goes into a large electricity user, whether it's a factory or a data center or some kind of business, the vast majority is going into them, and we're able to generate it at, at around about a third of the cost that they are currently having to buy it from from uh, from their suppliers. So the economics have changed dramatic, d- dramatically as well. And that has led to, I, I, I really don't know anymore, but we're, we're probably getting two or three large inquiries every day. Mm. And uh, even though we've grown the team as rapidly as we have, it's, it is actually a struggle to get around everybody and, and deal with the level of interest we've got. And that's just on big solar car parks. And of course, we've got the Papilio 3 units um, running alongside that now as well. Yeah, well, it's exciting times. And I did want to just come on to uh, the Papilio 3 units themselves as well, because I wanted you to to tell us a little bit about them and the sort of uh, specs and capabilities of them. But as well, one thing I mentioned, um, wanted to talk about, sorry, was um, your relationship with ChargeSafe, because that's um, something we were... We've worked with ChargeSafe a lot this year. We've done quite a few things mm-hmm. with their, their charging site at Osprey and we know Kate quite well. So mm-hmm. uh, I know they've um, inspected your sites as well and they've, they've gone down quite well as well. So if you could just talk about a little bit of an overview of the chargers themselves, but also how that relationship with ChargeSafe came about. Well, let, let, let me just talk about ChargeSafe first of all. I, I think it's a fabulous initiative. Mm. Um, on the one hand, as, as a parent and a grandparent, I think it's actually sad that we have to do things like that nowadays. But as you will appreciate, the whole concept of Charge Safe came about with Kate and her business partner being concerned in the middle of the night, trying to charge an electric car, holding a thousand pound mobile phone in their hand whilst they look for the appropriate app. And as we all know, a lot of these early installations of EV charge points, um, you know, they were in the darkest most distant corner of a supermarket car park and that sort of thing. It, it, it's quite a frightening experience. Um, so fully applaud everything that Kate did and does. Um, wish her the best of luck. I, I think we were actually her first customer. I think we were the first people to pay, actually pay her money for her service, which uh, was a great help. And we've now got her logo emblazoned all across everything that we produce (laughs) but it's a fantastic initiative and i I wish a success with that absolutely Uh, so to to return to papilio 3 well as i've said it's a pop-up unit so it is absolutely um available you can have one tomorrow if you want one (laughs) Uh, you can certainly have one within a week um but the the concept was to have something that could be instant that didn't need a new grid connection, didn't need planning permission, and wasn't going to take tons of concrete and piling and what have you to put in place. So we came up with this concept of a, of a shipping container um, with solar panels on the roof, which unfold to provide a canopy. So if you drive your car up to the Papilio 3, you are actually parking undercover. That gives us the ability to put lighting under the canopy, so it's well lit. And it also gives us the ability to mount CCTV cameras on it. So it's it's probably the safest and ease, most easily um, identifiable and uh, easiest place to find anything uh, if you're looking for somewhere to charge an electric vehicle. Um, but as to the technology, uh, it connects to an existing grid connection. And, and it's a little bit too complicated without a diagram 
on a podcast to explain that. <laughs> but uh, as long as we've got uh, a, an existing supply at a site of about 120 amps, the more ampage you've got, clearly the better it is. But with 120 amps, um, if we put a battery into one end of a Papilio 3 and um, inverters and, and charge point uh, back office system in the other end, we can then put 12 charge points around the container. So you, you pull up to it on all four sides. Um, with my agricultural background, if you imagine a sow lying on its side with the piglets all plugged into it, <laughs> I, I actually wanted to call it the piglet, but our marketing company said they didn't think that was a good idea. Shocking. But, yeah. it, <laughs> but if you imagine that in, in your mind's eye, that's what it is. Um, the cars come and plug themselves into it. And we are very deliberately targeting the um, workplace and destination uh, parking market because that's where cars are standing for two, three, four, five hours a day. Mm. And at those rates of charge, 7, 11, and 22, um, they can, people can get um, you know, 100 or 150 miles of, of range whilst they're parked at work or at the station or outside the swimming pool or whatever it might be. Um, and that is very definitely or very deliberately our, our approach because, as I touched on earlier, uh, rapid and ultra-rapid charging, which has a, has a place in the market, but it is the least environmentally friendly way of charging an electric vehicle, partly because people trying to replicate the forecourt model of a petrol station, people tend to charge their cars on the or fill their cars up on the way to and from work. Mm. Now, of course, that's seven, eight o'clock in the morning and five and six o'clock in the evening, which is the peak time on the grid, mm. um, which is when you're paying peak rate for the electricity. But the only way that the grid can increase power at that time of day and increase it further to accommodate EV charging is by switching on a gas peaking plant. Mm. So people charging at rapid and ultra rapid charges at that time of day are almost certainly running their electric car on gas, mm. which rather defeats the object. <laughs> um, so, and, and I don't believe, uh, I, don't, I don't want to patronise anybody, but I don't believe that most people actually realise that. Mm. And of course, the forecourt operators are not going to tell you that because they, what they want is you to go in and, and stand there for 20 minutes to get a rapid or ultra rapid charge, go into the supermarket franchise, buy an expensive cup of coffee and a packet of crisps, and um, and spend a lot of money there and before you drive on. They've also got that real estate already in towns and, and uh, places around the country. So they, the only way that they can adopt and, and uh, uh, incorporate that, utilize that in future, is by going to this rapid and ultra-rapid model. Of course, that requires a huge amount of infrastructure investment to, to improve the grid connection. That adds time, adds cost. And of course, uh, I charged the other day because you have to every now and then. I charged at a rapid charger and it was 70p a kilowatt. Mm. Well, at this time of year, I'm doing about three miles per kilowatt hour in my EV6. So that's costing me 20 to 25p a mile for electricity. If I was driving a diesel car today at £1.85 a litre, I've just seen this morning on the way to work, that's costing me about 16 or 18p a mile. So fossil fuel is cheaper than the electric vehicle in that scenario. Mm. 
um, which again defeats the object. It's not helping people to to convert to electric vehicles. Um, and of course, what we're now starting to see is the early adopters of electric vehicles tend, on the whole, to have been more affluent people because they were more expensive and they were a bit of a status symbol. And so more affluent people tend to live in houses with drives and garages, and they've been able to charge at home. Well, of course, charging at, at home on a night tariff um, has, has cost them very little to run an electric vehicle. But more than 50% of the population don't live in houses like that. Mm. If, you live in a if you live in a terraced house or a tower block, rented accommodation, student accommodation, I mean, even if you live in a, a 20 million pound Chelsea mansion, um, you can't charge at home necessarily if you've got nowhere to park the car off road. So there is a huge need for charging infrastructure for that 50%. Um, because if, if they keep going with forecourt models where they're paying effectively 50%, 60% more than it costs to run a diesel or petrol car, they're never going to switch. There's no incentive. Mm. So by us putting in infrastructure that runs partly off solar, partly off a battery, and of course the battery can store electricity at night when it's cheaper and lower carbon. So what's going into a car is probably, the apart from pure solar, um, what's going into cars that charge at, at our um, stations is probably the greenest electricity that they can find. No, so I just wanted to come on to, obviously we've been over the, the history of the company and, and how uh, this year's been, how 2022's been for the company. So what does the next 12 months look like for FreeTI? Obviously we're recording this just towards the middle of December and we're about to, <laughs> about to turn the corner into 2023. So what does that short-term future for the company look like in your, um, in your opinion? Well, the, the short-term, if we're thinking about the next six months or so, um, is a lot more of the same. Very strong sales pipeline converting into live projects to deliver big solar car parks. Um, we, we have just signed, um, I'm just trying to tot it up in my head, we've, we've signed about four million pounds, no, a bit more than that, four and a half million pounds of projects like that in the last week. Um, they will be delivered during the first quarter to two quarters of next year. And um, then we're ramping up our Papilio production. Um, our first batch of eight units is going out, I think the two of them will go out before Christmas. And the balance will go out during January, which is then effectively the end of our commercial trial for, for those. Mm -hmm. And we'll go into proper mass production, um, all being well in March. Yeah, exciting. And then when we come on to, I always like to end these podcasts by getting people's long-term long -term goals, long-term visions for the company. So, I mean, in this instance, it's a little bit of a, a the bigger picture, really, because of the inspiration behind the company. And like you said, how it's about leaving something better behind. So what would instead of asking your long term future and what's the long term vision of the company, what would you like to see as the future of, of EV charging? How, how does that picture look for you? A lot more infrastructure, which is the obvious answer. Um, but as I've as I've already alluded to, um, more environmentally friendly infrastructure, which is being charged, uh, vehicles being charged by the sun, um, and and renewable energy rather than this this thirst for rapid charges. You know, people ask me, 
or how quickly does your car charge? And and it's actually an irrelevant question. Um, and my answer is always a bit flippant. And I say, well, it takes me a minute to charge my car. And they look at me again and say, well, how do you work that out? I said, well, I pull up at one of our uh, charge points and I plug my car in and that takes 30 seconds. And then I go into the office and work for the day. And when I come out in the evening, my car's fully charged mm. and it takes me 30 seconds to unplug it. Um, so that that's where we need to get to is where people change their mindset from the traditional forecourt model where you drop in, you charge as quickly as you can, spend some money in, in the supermarket and then, and then head off again. Um, that will change from a cost point of view, but it must also change from an environmental point of view um, so that we are using uh, renewable energy to charge electric vehicles. Mm. Yeah. Perfect. But that, that's part of a, an ongoing education piece that we all have to do. Um, I think, as I said, everybody has come round to the, the fact that we need to do something. The legislation says we must do something. But without that charge point infrastructure, uh, and of course with a Papilio 3 unit, we're putting charge points out 12 at a time, whereas you'll, you'll look at most places and there's one, two or three that's been installed. We're actually putting them out 12 at a time. We don't need planning permission. We don't need a new grid connection. Um, and they take about six hours to install. And uh, off you go. The one we put in at Guildford actually took seven hours from the minute the lorry turned up to the plugging in the first car. Wow. And that it, that included painting the white lines. <laughs> so it, it, it doesn't get much more simple than that. And it does allow us to use existing grid connections without all the the palaver and cost and time required to upgrade grids uh, on sites. That's all for this episode. Many thanks for listening. And if you liked it, then please do check out all our other episodes and be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast from to make sure you get every single episode as soon as it's released. For daily news coverage, features and much more, you can also head over to evpowered.co.uk. Thanks once again for listening and we'll see you on the very next episode of the Everything EV podcast.